everybody, welcome to episode 5 of JR Plays. I'm your host, JR Honeycutt, and this week I played Mechs vs. Minions, Succession, Charterstone, Kimmet, Lift It Deluxe, and a few prototypes. Not just some things from Artana, but also some games designed by local friends of mine. I spent most of the week in Boston and Southboro doing playtesting and development at Artana with Dirk and the gang, but I did have a chance to play games on Thursday night I collected before I left, so I get to talk about both of those things, which I'm really excited about. Uh, the first two games on my list are Mechs vs. Minions and Charterstone. I'll say for those of you listening for both, they were really exciting. They're both very good, and spoilers, uh, it's impossible to discuss either in any way without spoiling you on some stuff. I'm not going to do anything major for either one. I'm not going to break anything that would make you be like, oh no, you spoiled something. But you should know that for both games, basically all of the information I could possibly tell you about is a spoiler, especially for Charterstone where you literally open the box and there is, spoilers, one thing in it that you read that then tells you what to start doing. So literally all of Charterstone is a spoiler. Uh, so I will talk about it briefly, not much, but I had a chance to play quite a bit of it and really enjoyed it. Uh, for Mechs vs. Minions, which is from Riot Games, the guys who make League of Legends, it's not quite as spoilery, but still almost all of it is a spoiler. But it's a campaign game, not a legacy game, at least I think that's the case based on what I've seen of it so far, so it won't be so bad. Uh, Alright, so new games to me. Mechs vs. Minions, Charterstone, and Succession, a local game by local designers Dave Ferguson and Ben Sears. Let's start with Mechs vs. Minions! Like I said, this is from Riot Games, the video game makers of League of Legends, which is an incredibly popular mobile online battle arena game where teams of five struggle to, you know, control stuff and blow each blow up each other's bases or whatever. I've played it a bunch of times, but I'm not, like, a League of Legends player. You can't see my air quotes, but I promise you I'm making them. Uh, but I do like the game, and I did enjoy playing it. I just, you know, am not good at it, so I don't play it that much. But I have a lot of friends who play it really competitively and love it, and it's obviously one of those games like World of Warcraft or, gosh, I don't know, like the Halo series or Call of Duty or... I mean, the Civilization series, like, it is so embedded in the culture of video gameplay that to have any kind of discussion about gaming would be ridiculous if it did not include League of Legends. It's a fantastic game. So this game, Mechs vs. Minions, is notably not League of Legends. And it isn't anything like League of Legends, at least as far as I can tell, having played both of them. I've read numerous articles about the design process, and this game was designed by Chris Cantrell, Rick Ernst, Stone LeBronde, Prashant Saraswat, and Nathan Tiris. At least they are the credited designers on BoardGameGeek. But, as I understand it from articles that I've read, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people who've contributed to it. As I think you would expect from a video game design studio where, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of people will touch a game from start to finish. And if the quality of the work is any measure of the quality of the people who have touched this game, my gosh, they must be incredibly talented, because Mechs vs. Minions is a joy. It is a sight to behold. The box is enormous. It is gorgeous. When you open the box, I my heart was beating. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. I was so excited just to see what was in it. And gosh, it does not disappoint at all. It's got 84 little minion miniatures, which are, you know, like maybe an inch tall, two inches tall, whatever it is. Uh, and there's 84 of them. They're holding little axes, and they're super cute. You can see pictures on BoardGameGeek. There are four fully colored Yordle miniatures. These Yordles are like the characters you play in the game. There's a big plastic hourglass. It's enormous, and a big bomb, and there's all these cool cards, and 
cool like metal golden tokens, one for each player, and a couple little gears and big boards, and all the stuff that you would want from a big miniatures game. It feels kind of like when you open up a cool mini or not game, only like in some way the production quality is even better. This thing is unbelievable, unbelievable, incredibly well produced. And in reading through the rules, the rules are incredibly well written. It's got the same kind of tutorial style rules handbook that you might see in a game like Crossmaster or Arcadia Quest, where you start learning how to play the game, you put it on the table, you start playing, and the game sort of onboards you while you play. And that onboarding, which for those of you who haven't done a lot of design research or design work, basically means like, how do we teach you how to play this game over time, rather than just like hitting you in the face with all the information up front. Uh, in video games, they do it by saying, hey, press right to move to the right, press left to move to the left. Press the space bar to jump, and then now you know how to do those things. And the more and more you do, the more and more you learn. Well, onboarding, totally present in this rulebook, and it is a great, great way to learn how to play the game. Uh, the other half of that is that the game isn't that complicated. What you do on your turn is super simple. You draft some cards, these little action cards that you put on a board, numbered 1 through 6 from left to right, that makes you execute these commands in order, kind of like Robo Rally, but you're playing cooperatively, so there's no competition over who gets which cards. You can kind of talk about what you want and talk about what you don't want, which is really cool. Uh, also, you can stack these cards so that as they have different symbols that stack up, they do more and more powerful abilities, and light spoilers, so skip past this if you don't want to know. Uh, after a while, you actually start getting secondary uses for the cards, which is printed on the cards, so it's not that much of a spoiler, but it isn't something you know how to do right away. At the end of the tutorial, you learn about this stuff. So I actually played the first mission of the game, which is Operation Short Fuse, after playing through the tutorial game with Dirk Niemeyer, uh, owner at Artana, and a person with whom I make games often. Uh, we played the tutorial and the first mission, Operation Short Fuse, and it was really, really fun. Uh, we won both, although it was very close for Operation Short Fuse, which, spoilers, so click forward if you don't want to read this, uh, asks you to push this bomb around a map, and or tow it if you have the option to do so, and get it to a certain point on the board while these minions just spawn over and over and over and over again and try to blow you up. It was super fun. I don't know how much I can say about it without really getting into the kind of spoilers you might not want to know. So if you're the person who values literally knowing nothing about a campaign until you open the book, just don't listen to this part. And also, you probably shouldn't listen to the Charterstone part, are there? But I'll kind of walk you through what I saw when I opened it up and how it went. So you open up the game, and there's a page on top that says, Hello, and it's the chancellor or the headmaster of this school that is introducing you and inviting you to come and attend. Uh, and you do so, because that's what you're doing here. And you pick your Yordle, which is basically like your little colored, beautiful plastic miniature that you know is who you are on the board. And you set it on the board, and your first goal is to blow up four energy crystals that exist there. So you set the cards up, which is cards that you draft, and there's these different action cards that do things like blow flame at somebody, or shoot off chain lightning, or send an energy beam in front of you that murders everything, no matter how far away it is. Or maybe you draft a card that lets you move around, or turn, or blow up your fuel tank and do damage to everybody. And as you go, if you stack these things up, they have more powerful abilities, which is a really neat, cool, complicated little situation that allows for really interesting drafting, even if your board is already full. Sometimes, light spoilers, you might take some damage, which might cover up your things or move your abilities around, etc., but you can get around that with light spoilers, using the cards as you draft them to, instead of adding them to your chain of actions that you might take, which happen in order, instead, swapping things around or clearing off a damage card, etc., very, very, very fun. So we blew up these energy crystals, and kaboom, right away, you flip the page of the tutorial book, and it tells you, whoa, now there are enemies for you to kill, and it tells you how to walk around and kill the enemies. And the enemies are kind of cool, because, like, you know, one hit kills them, 
so you can kind of just drive over the top of them or shoot them with your chain lightning. They're easy to kill, but in true, I guess, like henchman style, there are a jillion of them, at least that I've seen so far in the one and a half campaigns that I've played. So when you're done, you then open up the sealed envelope for Operation Short Fuse, which is the first one and the only one that I've played. And then you set up the board again and you do your whole mission. And oh my gosh, super, super fun. First off, the gameplay is unbelievably easy to understand. This game is so, so accessible. It could have been an app, and it would have been just as accessible as an app. It would be really easy to teach someone how to play this game in like four words. Draft a card, put it down, then do all the things in order. When you drive over the top of something, it dies. When you hit it with damage, it dies. Okay, you're done. Boom, done. Bingo, bango. Now you know how to play. It is cooperative, which means that the competitive elements that might normally make a person like feel bad for not doing well aren't there. Because even if you do poorly, all right, well, it's funny to watch your dude sort of spin around because you're not like losing ground to another human being. You're losing ground to the game. And that's exciting. And it isn't nearly as frustrating as it would be if another person, like, randomly got a better card than you did or et cetera because, you know, or they grabbed the card that you really wanted, which would definitely happen in a drafting game. But it doesn't matter again because it's a cooperative game. And if you want something, you just say, hey, man, let me grab that card instead of you so that, you know, I can use it. And then you can do something else because I really need this. And they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, no problem because we're all on the same team. So Mechs vs. Minions comes out soon. I'm not sure on the exact street date, but you absolutely, absolutely should get it and play it. I think it's going to be $80, and for the amount of stuff that is in this box, they could have said it was $200, and I probably still would have said it was a good value. It is crazy. Uh, but man, I cannot wait to play this thing again. I cannot wait. I will definitely be running through the full campaign. And the fact that it's cooperative, I think, makes it much more likely that Amy and I can get through the full thing together because we can sit down and play a few games in a row. Also, the games only took like half an hour to finish. It really wasn't that bad at all. I imagine it gets longer as you go, and there are definitely some things in that box that look crazy cool to unlock, like a giant dude with an axe coming out of a box that you can't really see, other than that he's trying to like bust out of it. Um, but yeah, super excited for it. I think this might end up being the most exciting campaign game that I've played since Pandemic Legacy, which is something that Amy and I also deeply enjoyed. So Mechs versus Minions, it's in the hotness on Board Game Geek. It looks incredible. The play is incredible from what I've seen so far. You should absolutely check it out. Really, 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 really good. Next up is Charterstone, a legacy game coming from Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games. Jamie asked me and my buddy Cody Lewis uh, to run through what has been done of this game so far, or at least what was given to us, and provide playtesting feedback. We recorded our sessions. My buddies Nate, Phil, David, and Hammer came over, and we played a six-player version of this game, uh, which is the maximum player count so far, and it was great. So everything about this is a spoiler, and I'm only going to talk very briefly because the game is still being designed, still being developed, and certainly, you know, it's not out for public consumption yet or anything like that, but I'll talk about it just a little bit. When you start, you open the box, and you get a rule card, and there's a little envelope that has, you know, rules for you, and you put these rules into, for the prototypes, like a little three-ring binder page, and the rules sort of tell you how to play. But you know nothing about it, and these things change during the process. I mean, spoilers, like, that's how legacy games work. And as you do that, you slip these cards into and out of this like three-ring binder page so that you're actually not just building the game, you're also building your own rulebook, which I found to be tremendously exciting in a super, super cool new way to present information. Like, this is also onboarding, but it's onboarding in a totally different way than what Max vs. Minions does, where that game relies on deep simplicity and pictures to show everything. In Jamie's game, it relies on very logical construction of information over time using parsing little bits of information that come at different times to help you do what you need to do. So most of the complexity in the game comes from the things that you actually build in your village, which let you have different abilities, different powers, etc. 
That is a spoiler, but I think that if you saw a resource management game about building a village, you might expect that there might be resources and also things you build in the village. I won't tell you what any of those things are, but I will say that having wet my appetite with Charterstone, I cannot wait for the main dish. I am so, so excited to get a chance to actually finish this thing, play it all the way through, and see where it goes. Uh, if you're waiting for Charterstone and want more information than that, I'm sorry that I can't do more. Uh, per, you know, being a cool guy and not making Jamie upset at me, uh, I'll just say that this thing is well worth the wait, at least from what I've seen, and I cannot wait to see more. So special thanks to the guys who played, and of course to Jamie Stegmeyer for letting us go through the campaign. Really appreciate it. Last game that is new to me from this week is Succession uh, by local designers Dave Ferguson and Ben Steers, published by their publishing companies, Castle Games and Randover Games. In Succession, each of you is a faction that employs uh, envoys, like knights who are escorts for your people, and also royalty, and also some criminals who do criminal things. And you're playing them in a kind of paper, scissor, rock style from your hand uh, to the table, where based on where they're from, forest, mountain, or town, uh, they, Forest Mountain or Castle, I'm sorry, uh, they interact with each other. The knights will kill the thieves, and the thieves, if not killed, will then capture the royalty, and the royalty, if not captured, will then make it into your little castle and give you some points. Uh, super simple, I backed it for $10 on Kickstarter whenever the campaign was, I think earlier in 2016, and I was excited because it seemed very simple to play, which it was, that the rules were easy to learn, which they were, and that I could pull it out and play it with whomever I wanted to, which I could and did uh, last Thursday I collected. And that's probably where my positive feedback stops. I really wanted to like this game because I'm a fan of simple card games. Like, Abloxen is, I think, my most played game of that genre this year, and I love, like, Jaipur, which is a very interesting, very simple card game, or even Get Bit, which is a simple card game, you know? Like, these things where you just kind of put stuff down, not mindlessly, you don't have to think too hard about what you're doing, and kind of talk about what's happening as you play. But in this game, you've got so much hidden information, like, you don't actually know what to play, or you can play at random, and then resolution requires, like, okay, this happens, then this happens, and this happens. You guys take all these things and go. And you sort of have to table captain the resolution step a little bit just to make sure that everything happens in the order that it's supposed to. And I'm not sure if that's because we were just playing it for the first couple times, so we didn't really know how to resolve things, or if it's just that, like, it isn't particularly interesting, so one player has to force himself through it. But I was a little disappointed with that. However, I would say this game is definitely worth trying for anybody who likes Paper, Scissor, Rock mechanics and who is interested in a little card game you can teach anybody and play with two to six players. So those aspects of it are great. But for me, it did not hold up, and I probably won't play it again unless somebody requests it. I will take it to Nerd Night, though, and have it in my box of games for people to try out, and of course have the most respect in the world for Dave and for Ben for trying new things. So kudos to them, local designers, for a new game, and I wish that I liked it more than I did, but I'm still proud to own a copy of it. That covers the new games for the games that I played Thursday night at Collected last week. Uh, Kimmet, Lift It Deluxe. These ones were a lot of fun. So Kimmet and Lift It Deluxe are both games that I've played before, and they're both very fun for different reasons. I'll talk about Kimmet first and do Lift It Deluxe afterwards. Kimmet, published by Matigo, the same people that did Cyclades that I talked about a few weeks ago, uh, was designed by Jacques Berriot and Guillaume Montiach. I hope I'm getting the names right, guys. We played a five-player game with Mark Montgomery, uh, one of my buddies who owns so many games, and is kind of like our gaming Yoda in our group. And also Jason Hammer, Hammer Time, and uh, with Eric Yorkston, who's finally back from being gone for forever, so glad to have him back. And we played so that we could teach Eric how to play, so that he'd know whether he liked it better than Cyclades or not. And also John Adkins, the aforementioned John Adkins, who wins at just about everything we play together lately. Uh, the five-player game of Kimmet is the maximum number of players you can play. 
John had played once before. Mark and Eric had not played before, so it was a teaching game for those guys, and as a result, we added in only one expansion. For those of you who played before, we added in the Black Pyramid expansion, which adds a bunch of new tiles to the game. Uh, in Kemet, you are the controller of a kingdom. You have units, 10 of them, and also some pyramids that you build in your little kingdoms, and you're trying to control areas, uh, that, some of which have temples in them that give you points, and be the first player to earn 8 points and end the game. When the game ends, at the end of the round, which one player has at least 8 points, the player with the most points wins. Most of your points come from either controlling temples, and if you control multiple temples at the end of a round, you get a bonus point, or from winning combat. Every time you attack somebody and win, you get a point, a permanent point that can't go away from you. You do not get points for defending, although you can buy an upgrade that lets you do that, and you don't get points for like holding stuff, although you can buy upgrades that just give you points for having a cool economy, and you do also get a point when each of your pyramids hits the number four, the biggest level they can be, the fourth level pyramid. Uh, the pyramids are giant four-sided die, by the way, with the numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4, which is one of the cool ways to like physically use a component to also present game information. And you never roll them, so they're like not actually dice, I guess, because they don't get rolled. If a die rolls in the forest and nobody sees it, it's still a die. But you use them to track how big your pyramids are, and the bigger they are, the more stuff you can buy. Uh, I love Kimmet. Love Kimmet. But it's funny, there's something about the game that always makes me forget what it feels like to actually play the game and just makes me remember the big moments that I get when I play. You can divide Kimmet into two halves, I've found. Uh, each of them can be described with, like, you know, the second half of the game name. So it's just called Kimmet, but I would say for the first half, it's Kimmet, colon, pass me the reference sheet, please. And the second half is Kimmet, colon, how many movements do you have left? The first half of Kimmet is all about figuring out which tiles you're going to buy, and these tiles give you special abilities, or might unlock these super cool monster miniatures that accompany your armies and give them bonuses to movement, and attack value, and defense value, and maybe even like kill troops as you pass, which doesn't happen automatically because you've got to actually play cards to kill troops as you go. Uh, but these monsters make you really, really powerful, and you can have up to three of them, and they must like exist with your armies and your places and such. And some of them, I think the Sphinx is even worth like a victory point, which is a really big deal when you're only playing to eight victory points. And the tiles are, they're the depth of the game. The game is incredibly simple, you know, like you move around spaces and do things, take orders and such. It's the tiles that really allow players to differentiate and figure out how they want to play, what they want their game of Kimmet to look like. Do you want to make yourself aggressive, defensive? Do you want to focus on your own economy so you can earn more onks and spend more money every turn? These are the choices you get to make, and that's what makes Kimmet fun. However, when you set the game up, there are... 48 different tiles that go on the board, every one of them with individual iconography and an individual ability, some of which are copied, but for the most part there's like 40 different abilities, and they're set at one end of the table where players can't even really see them from far away. And there is one reference sheet that comes with the game that tells you what all those things do. If that sounds like it would be difficult to know all that information and hold it in your head and make plans, it is. And Kimmet should come with five reference sheets, because every single moment in Kimmet, somebody is saying, hey, please, pass me the reference sheet. And then another person is saying, hey, when you're done, will you please hand me that? And then the person whose turn it is is also saying, hey, can I see that again? I want to make sure that I choose correctly. And that's a problem. I don't understand why Matigo didn't include five reference sheets in their game. But there are files on BoardGameGeek where you can print your own reference sheets and use them, and everybody should. Hammer hasn't done it yet, but I think after listening to me complain for the three hours we played Kimmet last Thursday, he will now have them printed and available. The second half of Kimmet is, Kimmet, how many movements do you have left? And that's because something that isn't obvious at the beginning of the game, but as you play and start jockeying for, like, attacking each other, because you get most of your points from attacking, and especially when you're attacking somebody who has, like, one unit in a place, which is basically an automatic win, it becomes really important to know in what order people will get to move and how many times they can move this round, how many are left. 
Uh, in Kemet, your action selection capacity is based on this little three-level pyramid, and on each level of the pyramid, there are different actions you can take. You get five action tokens, and a round consists of every player playing every one of their action tokens, like one at a time. So I do it, then John does it, then Eric, then Mark, etc. And you can only move twice. There are only two spaces that let you move. So like, you get to move, at most, two out of your five actions for the entire round. If everyone else has used all their move actions, and I haven't, I know that I can move freely into places and I won't get attacked until the end of the round, which is really powerful and very important information, especially later in the round when like, what you're doing is trying to be the person who holds the temple at the end to make sure that you get the points for it to make sure that you can win. Okay, those things being said, I won our game 10 to 9 to 9 to 8 to 6. Every player in the game at some point was winning. I believe that's true. I know 4 out of 5 were. And going into the last round, three players were tied at seven. Part of that is because I could have made a move that would have won me the game and didn't see it and didn't do it, which was really frustrating and bothered me for a few days afterwards. But another part of it is that everybody played really well. And Kimmet is a game where, like, much like Cyclades, it's really difficult to know exactly who's winning, or at least who is going to win, because everybody is kind of within striking distance all the time. And once you know what everything does, you can kind of perceive these incredibly interesting paths to victory and kind of hope that your opponents don't see them. Unlike Cyclades, and these games get compared a lot because they're in similar box sizes and they have miniatures and they came out at similar times, I believe. Unlike Cyclades, where all the information is presented very clearly on the board, in Kimmet, all the iconography means that players might generally just not see a combination of things that you've been staring at, or might not be aware of how much an effect might be great for you, because there's such, so much stuff going on, and that's okay. When you add in the expansion with the extra black tokens that we did, you have like 64 different things that can happen. So in some ways, it's about providing... Not necessarily combinations, but certainly options that you might find in a game like Magic or an LCG. And that's great. That's another thing that makes Kimmet super interesting. Uh, Rodney Smith, who runs Watch It Played, says regularly that Kimmet is his favorite game. And I hear all the time that Kimmet is somebody's favorite game, on the level that I hear people say that like Cosmic Encounter is their favorite game, so it's very interesting. But it does sort of break down, especially for new players who have to sort of grok and internalize what all those different things do, and that can be a little frustrating. Still, very glad that I played Kimmet this week. I'll play it any time with just about anybody. Really enjoy it. And it had been a while since I played, just like it had been a while since I played Cyclades. So it was good to kind of get back to those big, awesome area control games that are such amazing classics. I also played Lift It Deluxe. This is designed by Per Goading, published by USAopoly. Uh, Lift It Deluxe asks you to race against a timer and stack these different plastic pieces on top of each other. If it sounds simple, it's not, because this crane has a long string attached to it, which itself has a little plastic hook attached to it, which itself has a little metal hook attached to it. And sometimes you strap it to your forehead, like a silly, ridiculous adult. And then you have to move your head around and use a stupid little hook attached to another stupid little hook attached to a long string attached to, again, your forehead, you reasonable adult you, to pick up plastic pieces that have holes in them that lean every which way and stack them up in ways that are determined by cards that you draw randomly before a timer runs out. I love Lifted Deluxe. I'm going to take it to Nerd Night tonight and hopefully play it a ton. And it's one of those games you can just set out there and it's got such high toy value that you don't even really have to like know how to play. You can just look at it and be like, huh, I bet these cards tell you what to build and I bet you flip over this timer and since this card has three timers printed on it, you get three timer flips to build it. That sounds correct. Okay, go. And then everyone can just play. It's really fun. Also, there's a Teams variant where both of you, both of you reasonable adults, strap a stupid crane to your head that then, I'm sorry, one crane attached to both of your foreheads. So you have to move around together in concert, both of you, to move this crane with the two hooks attached to it to pick up pieces to stack them up. If it sounds ridiculous to see four human beings tied together with strings, placing, putting plastic pieces on top of a board together, then 
well, yes, it is ridiculous, but we could also be friends. So you should play Lifted Deluxe if you get the chance. While in Boston this week, we did development work on a bunch of our games at Artana, and I don't normally talk about this, but one of them is coming out pretty soon, that is Einstein, which is an upcoming tile placement game that'll be on Kickstarter, I think, later this month. Einstein asks players to take on the role of Albert Einstein from one of the four phases of his life and combine these really, really cool Penrose shapes in such a way that they can finish scientific theories based around four different sciences, mathematics, physics, chemistry, and philosophy, and score points for having done so. It's a game that's on the same depth as, say, a game like Carcassonne or Lanterns. It's a tile placement game that doesn't really require that you pay a ton of strategic attention to what's going on, but at the same time, it's deep enough that if you plan well, you're you know, probably going to win. It has a lot of cool information about Einstein's life and various things that he worked on printed on the cards. Uh, like most of the things that Dirk does at Artana, it has a ton of flavor text, a ton of very real information that you can actually learn while you play, which is something that I really adore about the company and the games that we make. Uh, and it's beautiful. Art by Quanchai, who did art for Dug Dug Goose Caboose, one of my games. Uh, it's light, it is thematic, and it is a fun, exciting process. So I cannot wait to I cannot wait until Einstein is on Kickstarter so many people can see it. But I really appreciate all of our playtesters who played it, and also it was fun to get a chance to play it again this week. And maybe we have some exciting stuff coming out for it that you don't know about yet, so I guess pay attention to that coming out. Thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 5 of JR Plays. I'm closing this out and heading off directly to Nerd Night this month, where I'm going to play a whole bunch of other games, including hopefully Mexico, which I've had in my bag for weeks now I've been trying to play. But Nerd Night is great. Just like last month, I expect to play all sorts of cool stuff, maybe new, maybe old, with a bunch of old and new friends. And uh, you'll hear all about it next week on JR Plays Episode 6. Thank you so much for listening. You guys go out and have a wonderful time playing games. See you later.